a frightening scenario as Omicron spreads. We're going to need the surge beds. We're going to need to expand hospital capacity. New COVID modeling predicts stress on our hospitals, even as thousands line up for booster shots. Threats at testing centers. That kind of conduct is not acceptable. The warning from top health and safety officials with a system pushed to its capacity. And digging out. (laughs) Danger on Vancouver bridges and new challenges from the next round of winter weather. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. That latest winter storm came in exactly as predicted, making it a pretty messy commute in Metro Vancouver for anyone who didn't get a snow day at least. As Amadagahi reports, the day started well with few cars on the road, but by the afternoon, drivers had to deal with at least one major bridge closure. From Highway 1 to Vancouver and Surrey. An army of snowplows kept Metro Vancouver moving Thursday morning after yet another significant snowfall. They were prepared for it. We knew this weather was coming in for about a week. Quicker than daylight, the major streets in Vancouver were drivable. Most buses had no problem taking hills on with a few exceptions. Ice buildup. And the increase in passengers did slow SkyTrain significantly at times. Um, we do apologize the inconvenience for the delays. Of course, side streets were not a priority for plows, which means some people found themselves in tricky situations. Pretty slippery down this hill, huh? Very slippy. Yeah. <laughs> My car got stuck. <laughs> Let's try to push you out. What do you say? Um, yeah, let's do it. All right. <laughs> let's do it. It took our cameraman, Roger Ho, and eventually two neighbors to free this driver. And the situation on the roads did take a turn in the afternoon when crews decided to shut down the Alex Fraser Bridge because of the potential for falling ice. Before the storm, many were asked to stay off the roads, and it appeared they listened. But unfortunately, some disregard for the conditions and those working hard to improve them could not be avoided. Let the plows do their job. Stay away from the plows. Stay back at least 10 car lengths. <laughs> Good job to Roger and the team helping that uh, guy get his car out of the snow. And Madagahi is live with more on the weather woes. What's the latest on the Alex Fraser and Mod? Because it's been closed for hours today. Yeah, and the last update we had was a couple of hours ago saying that the Alex Fraser Bridge remains closed at this hour due to the interest for public safety. Uh, What's more is we're also hearing from the Ministry of Transportation that if uh, the conditions deteriorate, the Portman Bridge could be next, saying that rising temperatures, there's concern that snow and ice could blow down onto the lanes. Also further to what the GM on the main road crew said, there was another incident last night where a snowplow driver collided with someone trying to pass them. That makes it four times that has happened this winter in this snowstorm. We need the plows on the road, they said. Yeah, got to be patient. All right, thanks for that, Ahmad. Mm-hmm. All right, Vancouver Island was hammered by the heavy snow as well. It left travelers stranded and tens of thousands of hydro customers without power. And as Kylie Stanton reports, islanders are being warned there could be even more outages. It's a parade of 
plows, one after another. And they've been working around the clock. Started uh, early in the evening and then cycled crews throughout the night and then into the morning for the morning commute. But there's no way to keep up with this snowfall that's blanketed Vancouver Island, impacting every community. And just trying to figure out what we did to make Mother Nature so angry at us. At least 15 centimeters came down in the coastal areas, with as much as 30 centimeters inland and at higher elevations. I've never seen snow this bad before, so... Pretty gross. Making matters worse, with temperatures near the zero mark, it's incredibly heavy. Something meteorologists call heart attack snow. Which is not to be taken lightly at all, so be careful out there as you clear this up. And it can also wreak havoc on infrastructure. Trees are likely to have branches break, and that spells uh, a bit of a, a situation uh, for the BC Hydro grid. At its peak, the storm left more than 23,000 customers on Vancouver Island without power. Victoria, Courtney, Euclid, Duncan, and the Gulf Islands, hardest hit. So it's basically... All hands on deck when we have events like this to try and bring on customers as quickly as we can. Additional disruptions included several early ferry cancellations. Some flights were grounded between Victoria and the mainland. School districts closed to those students in attendance this week. And BC Transit was forced to make the rare move to halt all service until it was safe. First thing, we actually had to cancel all service in the Victoria Regional Transit System uh, up until about 7 a.m. And then we were able to start getting core routes back online. But despite all the chaos on the West Coast, it's usually pretty short-lived. I love it. And so may as well make the most of it. I get to have snowball fights. That's what we're going to do when we get home. And I get to build snowmen and we get to go sledding. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Adorable. The kids love it. Drivers, not so much. A lot of that snow is sticking around. Roads could still be a problem overnight. So let's bring in meteorologist mm -hmm. Christy Gordon now with more on what to expect. Christy. Chris, our biggest concern overnight are freezing rain and then heavy rain. Here's a quick look at the regions that still have a risk of freezing rain. It's mainly through the Fraser Valley. It could extend into areas like Langley, uh, possibly through the Howe Sound region, and a risk from Comox up towards Campbell River. So slick conditions still possible in those regions overnight. In addition, what we're expecting heavy rain, uh, we're, we are expecting heavy rain for the lower mainland, 30 to 60 millimeters possible. It's starting to pick up right now and will become heavy overnight. So with that, we will get a significant snow melt from all the snow that's on the ground, and that could cause pooling water on the roads, maybe some minor localized flooding. When I come back, though, we're going to talk about the possibility of more power outages tomorrow morning. I'll show you which areas and why. All right, we'll check in then. Thanks, Christy. Well, drivers obviously have challenges in the snow, but pedestrians can have a particularly tough time as well. As Paul Johnson reports, despite bylaws in most cities that require homeowners to clear their sidewalks, many remain treacherous obstacle courses. If you're fortunate enough to own a home on the Crescent in Vancouver's Shaughnessy neighborhood, you've got one of the most prestigious addresses in the country. But you may not make the list for compliance with basic civic expectations. A visit here a few years ago found so many unshoveled sidewalks that a newspaper columnist suggested a shovels for Shaughnessy drive to help those struggling with winter maintenance. Thursday afternoon, it was clear that didn't amount to much, with about half of the homes here still with uncleared walks 
though some had managed to shovel out their driveways. So this is a spectacular mansion called Crescent Falls. It has several hundred feet of currently unshoveled sidewalk. Great for skiing on, not so much for walking. I think they should uh, make an effort to shovel it. Across town in the city's Killarney neighborhood, we found Ellie Mendoza navigating slippery, uncleared sidewalks. I have to walk, go for my grocery, right? And I don't have a car. I, I'm expecting that uh, the front of the house should be a little clear because it's so dangerous. And it's not just a good citizen kind of thing. In most cities in Canada, you're required to clear the walks in front of your house within a few hours of snowfall. Across Metro Vancouver Thursday, we found many property owners were doing just that. But there's always a handful who don't or can't. And all of this is in support of pedestrians uh, traveling on our sidewalks. So we're really wanting to make sure that all pedestrians, especially those with mobility challenges, are able to get around safely. Though the satirical shovels for Shaughnessy idea didn't seem to catch on. If you live on the Crescent and you can't shovel your walks, you might jot this down. The City of Vancouver's Snow Angels program, which will match volunteers with those in need. In Shaughnessy... Paul Johnson, Global News. And crews in the B.C. interior have been working flat out to keep up with the snow there. For the Okanagan, it's the winter that never seems to end. The Kelowna area had 25 centimeters of snow in some areas overnight. For the most part, people have been supportive of efforts by road-clearing crews who are doing their best to keep up with what's close to twice as much snow as the region is used to getting at this time of year. With short staff and the way it is this year, with people sick and less people doing it, you know, you got a select few people trying to run 36 hours, no sleep, just working their butts off. And no, it's not going to be perfect, but hey, they're trying. The city of Kelowna says a big challenge right now is where to put all that snow, because once accumulations surpass 40 centimeters, finding a place to dump it becomes a big problem, and they are well past that amount now. Well, B.C.'s independent COVID modeling group is warning B.C. could soon see a record-setting spike in hospitalizations that will far exceed the province's hospital capacity. Ted Chernecki reports on the projected best and worst-case scenarios and how long the surge is expected to last. Maybe a minimum of 2,000, maybe 10,000, but those numbers are astronomical relative to anything we've seen so far in this pandemic. And the models may be wrong, and I am hoping they are wrong. So are health authorities province-wide hoping they're wrong because we don't even come close to having enough capacity in our hospitals. As of Tuesday, there were 9,229 base beds, another 2,353 surge beds for a total of about 11,500 province-wide. But they are about 78% occupied, leaving about 2,500 available. The projected hospitalization rates kind of even if we make um, pretty best case scenarios along the way is still really high. And those best case scenarios, we're predicting 4,000 peak COVID cases in the hospital. A shortage of beds is one thing. Then there's the shortage of staff to take care of the sick. If you have COVID-19 this prevalent in the community, it affects your ability to staff those 9,229 beds. So it's not just a matter of having people in the hospital. We can address that in our by reducing other activities as we prepare for more COVID cases. 
but it's also um, the fact that you need um, your staff complement in place, and it's going to be affected by this level of transmission in the community. UBC's model predicts the peak of hospitalizations are about two weeks away. The good news is that it should end almost as fast as it started. The faster the rise, the faster the virus really runs through the susceptible population and the faster the crash. And that's that's why it, this is not going to be a months-long um, process. So what can you do to help the situation? Well, one, get vaccinated if you haven't. And two, try to stay out of hospital for any reason in the next month or so. Ted Chernaki, Global News. All right, let's get to the latest COVID-19 numbers for B.C. We have 3,223 new cases and 31,877 active cases. 324 people are in hospital. 90 of those patients are in the ICU. And sadly, three more people have died from complications of the virus. Keith Baldry joins us now. And Keith, I know you've got some fresh data. Uh, what does it reveal about vaccinations in children? Yes, the 5 to 11 age group, the last to go into the vaccination queue, uh, sort of a glass half full, half empty, not proceeding as quickly as I think public health officials would like. So here's the latest update. As of yesterday, more than 138,000 of 350,000 kids, that's about 40%, have received one dose. And again, look at the geographical breakdown. It mirrors what we saw with the adult population, where Vancouver Coastal and the island has the highest percentage of kids being vaccinated from their, by their parents. Fraser's got the most, but a low percentage. And then the interior in the north, Chris, similar to what we saw with the adults, the interior in the north took a long time for the adult population there to really match the vaccination rate of other adults elsewhere in the province. And we're seeing that reflected now in the kids up there. Just 6,000 kids in the north have received one dose. That's uh, 24 percent, which is a very low number. Sometimes it's scheduling. You know, you and I both hear a lot from people mm -hmm. on Twitter, and that's one thing that keeps coming up. They don't have access to it at times that are convenient, but we'll look into that Lastly, uh, where are we at when it comes to booster doses being administered? Yeah, this is sort of uh, the other side of the coin. It's a better story here. So while the children's program is sort of slowed in parts of the province, the booster program is really picking up speed as more pharmacies come online. So take a look at this. In terms of the numbers, uh, again, it depends where you live. Fraser has the most of booster doses. But the percentages, again, favor Vancouver Coastal and Vancouver Island and lower percentages in the interior and the north. Uh, the total now, we broke through 1 million doses yesterday, 1,042,450 third doses. Good news, that's only 22%, but that number is really picking up speed. Uh, over 70, it's over 70% take up. So this number is going to improve. We should hit 2 million booster doses sometime later this month. We've got a lot of proof coming up right now that booster shots are popular. Keith, thanks very much. All right. Anyone headed to downtown Vancouver for a booster shot today had to be patient. The lineup at the convention center, reminiscent of the early days of COVID-19 vaccinations with people, even those with appointments, waiting for up to three hours in line, even more in some cases. What you see outside is only part of it. The lineup continues for hundreds of meters inside as well. You recall at some moments in dose one and dose two period, in that period, right, there were a couple of days where there were long lines and then those were sorted out. And, uh, and we are ramping up at the convention center. You can only go and you can only get a vaccine if you have an appointment and I'll check into that. Some people in the lineup were there without appointments. Dix is encouraging people looking for boosters to consider other clinics, such as the one that's open now at the Italian Cultural Center in Vancouver. Frustration boils over at COVID testing centers. How some people seeking tests they can't get 
are taking it out on workers and what the province says in response. That's next on the news hour. A domestic cat that now shares a lot more than distant ancestors with a wild bobcat. That's coming up on the news hour. And supporting retired legends, the small business taking a big bite out of vet bills for police dogs who once put their lives on the line. That's later. Right now, though, the combination of the explosion of COVID cases and BC's limited testing capacity is making for some very tense times at many testing centers. The situation has apparently become so bad, there are now many reports of workers being harassed and even threatened. Richard Zussman reports. It is a line that has caused disappointment, frustration, even anger, waiting hours to get a COVID-19 PCR test. Now it has led to harassment. And sometimes... They take, uh, they've taken out uh, uh, that on healthcare workers, and that part's completely unacceptable. The province reporting multiple incidents of healthcare workers being harassed. The cases turned over to police. With PCR testing capacity maxed, BC has opted to prioritize healthcare workers, young kids, and seniors for testing. Others are told to stay home and assume they have COVID without a test. Everywhere the testing capacity is stretched. And so in jurisdictions across the country, the same kind of actions are being taken in Ontario, in Quebec, in Alberta. The BC Nurses Union says the province needs to do more to protect frontline workers like nurses. They have been the victim of abuse for years and COVID has amplified it. It's so insulting. Nurses have been harassed even in grocery lines. And there is no room um, for physical or, or verbal abuse for our members. They are now asking the province to provide additional security at testing centers. Maybe we need to have a place where nurses can go outside where they're not waiting with the public. BC's lack of testing in all regards has heightened anxiety. It's even higher now. On Tuesday, Dr. Bonnie Henry referring to a warehouse of tests this way. That um, is an urban myth that there's millions of rapid tests in a warehouse somewhere. Only for the province to then confirm there are 1.3 million tests still sitting in a warehouse. It's pretty well accepted that the, the BC testing strategy has been a, largely a failure, whether that's the PCR testing or the inadequate use of rapid testing. 457 to testing centers, 100,000 to long-term care, 87,000 have been deployed already, 100,000 to Indigenous communities. That's a significant number deployed and the rest are all called have a call on them and are accounted for. The complaints are the testing system is too bureaucratic and the need for more testing should have been anticipated. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. A man who vandalized Vancouver's Chinese Cultural Center with racist graffiti will spend a total of 240 days in jail. 47-year-old Eve Castongay pleaded guilty to defacing four windows with anti-Asian remarks in April of 2020. Vancouver police released surveillance images and after Castongay failed to show up for a court appearance, he was arrested on a Canada-wide warrant in 2021. He has been sentenced to 79 more days on top of the 161 days that he's been in custody, along with three years of probation. The rise of the Omicron variant is pushing Victoria police to invoke emergency powers. Too many officers, paramedics and firefighters are booking off due to exposure or positive tests. Romina Dea reports on the extraordinary steps being taken to ensure emergency services can operate adequately. 
we're facing significant staffing shortages on our front lines. An emergency step in the name of public safety. The Victoria Police Department invoking a rarely used section agreement, which will give management the ability to redeploy officers to the front lines without consultation. I think it's very significant. I've, I've been here 30 years. Uh, I don't have any memory of it ever being invoked. The move comes a day after the Winnipeg Police Service declared a state of emergency. 136 of 900 officers off sick, according to numbers released Wednesday. Omicron taking out first responders from many communities. Almost half the fire department in Prince Rupert, eight out of 20 crew members out because of COVID, remaining staff picking up the slack. <coughs> staff shortages due to COVID expected to put incredible pressure on the ambulance service, which is already dealing with 30 to 50% of ambulances unstaffed on a regular basis since last summer's deadly heat wave, says the union president. We haven't been able to have a real great contingency because of our shortages for our previous staffing issues and our staffing issues that are going on around. So this is going to put incredible pressure on the system and paramedics, and we need to really be prepared for that. Vancouver police say COVID is not currently affecting staffing levels, but they're prepared. We do have contingency plans in place uh, should we have a significant number of um, police officers or civilian staff members who do go down as a result of COVID. But right now we're doing okay. In Surrey, as of Thursday, 42 officers and 12 civilian staff not working because of sickness. And we've already had people across the detachment stepping up and saying that if they're needed, yes, they will go to the front line. Widespread illness not impacting service levels, say the Mounties, who want to reassure the public they've been preparing for this since COVID changed our lives two years ago. Romina Dea, Global News. Still ahead, Nanaimo seniors left out in the cold. A lot of people in here cannot afford to move to the new the, place. The affordable housing they thought they were getting, that turns out to be anything but. And the soaring price of fuel, what some advocates say should be done to bring the cost down. Nanaimo seniors say a newly built housing complex isn't the affordable living option they had been promised. Units in the six-story butter tubs development were initially set to start at just over $700 per month. But as John Hua reports, those hoping to move in say the rent for most units is actually much higher. It's a brand new building that promised to bring hope for affordable seniors housing in Nanaimo. Very excited. I thought that would be wonderful to get in there. Many residents living in nearby affordable housing complexes, long rumored for redevelopment, saw it as a chance to find stability. We can almost go across the street. Uh, maybe for another $50, we'll have a brand new building. Now they're saying 10 Butter Tubs Drive feels more like a bait and switch. Myself and a lot of people in here cannot afford to move to the new place. You know, you're looking at 1600 According to BC Housing, the building owned and run by the Nanaimo Affordable Housing Society, which received millions of provincial funding, is filled with market rentals, not targeted towards low-income seniors. We know there's needs across the spectrum. This housing program um, was based on higher or what you're calling uh, moderate incomes. 
BC Housing says pricing on the society's website is unclear and have asked that it be corrected. Studio rentals range from $500 on the low end up to $1,250, with most units renting at $825 a month. A one-bedroom goes for $880 to $1,475, most at $940 a month. Add in a den and rents climb to more than $1,600 a month on the high end. I didn't realize that uh, the rents were going to be so high that I couldn't afford it. Global News tried to ask the Nanaimo Affordable Housing Society if there were plans to redevelop and relocate current residents. They refused to go on camera and deferred to BC Housing. Two more projects for low-income seniors are being developed in the city, but just not here. I'm getting to the point where I can't even afford to live here. I'm afraid I'm going to end up out in the street. Because if you can't pay the rent, that's what you do. Residents say 10 butter tubs dry feels more like heartbreak than hope. A promise of affordability pricing out those who already call this area home. John Hua, Global News. And on the topic of prices, the snow wasn't the only jolt for Metro Vancouver drivers this morning. Gas prices are up again and could hit record levels by the end of the week. As Aaron MacArthur reports, that has one economist calling for gas prices to be regulated. Same pump, same product, much different price. Gasoline in Metro Vancouver surging higher in the new year, and the worst is still to come. We are going to see an all-time record uh, on Friday. Thursday morning, the price around Vancouver was just under $1.70 a litre. The price expected to keep going up until Friday, when analysts expect it to reach a price of $1.77. It's a reflection of the acute shortage of gasoline now south of the border in Washington State and Oregon. While the industry is talking about supply constraints, there are economists who argue it's time for the B.C. government to step in and regulate the fuel market. Other provinces like Nova Scotia already do it, and the BC Utility Commission regulates other energy products like electricity and natural gas. Why not gasoline? I think there's a, there's a good reason to be shifting to some sort of price regulation uh, model. And I think the BC government has been reluctant to go there, but you know, when we had the flooding and Trans Mountain went down, they knew that one of the responses in that type of situation from the companies would be to jack up prices and gouge consumers. So they deliberately went in and prevented that. Whether it's a shortage of refined product or increased profit-taking from oil companies, the price at the pump is up and looks like it will remain high through the spring. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Up next, more fallout from the Sunwing party flight. I'm sorry, guys, for everything. Regret, but not from the guy who organized the whole thing. What he says about the flight of shame. And in health matters, what might be a better way to test for Omicron? BC's COVID-19 Town Hall. Your questions answered by Dr. Bonnie Henry and Health Minister Adrian Dix. Email questions at globalnews.ca and tune in Monday on BC One, CKNW, or stream online. Still a little slow in both directions at the Portman Bridge. Winter maintenance has the HOV lane blocked. And don't forget over at the Alex Fraser Bridge, it's completely uh, closed for winter operations. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Kermac Cares for Kids. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. 
The man who organized that controversial Sunwing travel event says he understands why people are upset, but he insists he took steps to ensure everyone's safety. We have new 1-1-1 Video of that chartered flight to Mexico generated national outrage, showing a group of Quebec influencers and reality TV personalities partying, drinking, vaping, and dancing during the flight with not a mask in sight. There were reports the party forced the flight attendants to hide in the back of the plane. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau called it a slap in the face and Transport Canada is investigating. So in a statement posted this morning on his Twitter page, organizer James Awad says everyone was tested before leaving Montreal and only his group was on board. As for Sunwing refusing to fly the group back, Awad says he agreed to all of the airline's conditions except for the fact that it wouldn't serve the group food on the five-hour flight. Sunwing had previously said the group wouldn't agree to its conditions. Awad says he's still working to get his stranded travelers back home. In Health Matters tonight, there is early evidence a throat swab may be more effective at detecting the Omicron variant versus just testing the inside of your nose. But as Global's Jamie Morocco reports, not everyone agrees that at-home testers should try it. When Ontario mother of four Stephanie Berry woke up with a headache and a scratchy throat, she immediately pulled out her rapid test kit. I did it up my nose and it came back negative. So I'm like, okay, no big deal. I went about my day. Um, I got worse as the day progressed. So she went online and discovered information about swabbing, not just the nose, but the throat. I did throat like, you know, the four or five times on your tongue and then on your cheeks and then up my nose five times. And it came back positive, like within a minute, like it was so fast. A small real-world preprint study out Wednesday found nasal rapid antigen tests lagged when it came to detecting COVID-19 early on. And a week before, in late December, a larger trial out of Cape Town revealed testing through the nasal may be, quote, suboptimal for the Omicron variant specifically. Washington-based epidemiologist Eric Feigelding says this is likely because Omicron replicates much quicker in the upper respiratory tract. It's a very different virus from Delta. And it seems that you can find it not only more, but also find it about a day earlier um, if you swab your mouth. Officials, meantime, are cautioning against the off-label use of these at-home kits. The U.S. FDA put out a safety warning Wednesday stating at-home rapid tests should be used by following the instructions. Health Canada approves the package inserts for at-home test kits here. Most advise nasal swabs be done. The public health agency wouldn't say if it would be making any new recommendations. Feigl Ding, meantime, says if you do decide to test your throat for COVID, there is a caveat. For any mouth sampling, do not drink or eat about 30 minutes before you do the sample. Barry is thankful she caught her case early. Her kids stayed home from daycare and her firefighter husband was able to rush to get a PCR test. How many people have detected in their nose and then have gone and done whatever thinking they're negative? Unknowingly, potentially putting others at risk. Jamie Morocker, Global News, Toronto. Coming up, keeping retired police dogs healthy. It became so popular that it, it evolved into a full company. The merchandise making it much easier to pay vet bills later. Also tonight, how a domestic cat saved its much wilder cousin.
I had to repair my broken snow shovel today. Just flat wore out after all of this <laughs> white stuff. Let's see what else is to come. I guess we're going to transition soon to something else. Well, yeah, I mean, the rain is starting to come down right now, that's for sure, Chris. And as I talked about earlier, we still have that risk of freezing rain, especially in through the Fraser Valley. So we're really concerned about slick conditions. I thought I would show you some images from uh, the Fraser Valley Maple Ridge from earlier today, where you can see significant snow on the ground, but also that slick ice layer as this freezing rain came in after the snowfall. Look at this one as well. Super slick on top of that snowfall. So keep an eye out for icy conditions tonight. Make sure you're driving a Accordingly, heavy rain expected in through the south coast region, and that's when we could see pooling water on the roads overnight. Tomorrow morning, conditions clear across the south coast, but then we're concerned about strong winds. Yes, a wind warning's in place for the Victoria region. We're expecting gusts up to 90 kilometers an hour, even in Metro Vancouver near the water, so we could see power outages, and we could see some delays in the ferries. You better check with them before heading out early tomorrow morning. As well, significant snow still expected. So while we've transitioned to rain, a lot of areas in through the interior are going to continue with snow tonight and right through the day tomorrow. So look at some of these areas in the Kootenays. We're talking about up to 40 centimeters. Certainly the mountain passes will see that as well and we could see blowing snow with reduced visibilities meanwhile across the far north a fourth night of wind chills close to minus 50 uh, tomorrow we're going to see significant snow still across southern regions whereas the south coast will finally see conditions ease we actually could see a bit of blue sky tomorrow but we'll see the windy conditions through the morning hours and yes those are some flakes for saturday we could see a couple of centimeters of snow before it changes over to rain not much to worry about compared to what we've been dealing with that's for sure tonight's central windows weather window comes to you from for nelson ryan dickey sending us this and it's actually fog ice or ice fog basically instead of the fog crystals being water droplets they're ice crystals very cool shot thanks to ryan for that all right thanks wow. christy all right a domestic cat from fredericton is being hailed a hero after his blood transfusion saved the life of a sick baby bobcat. Smuckers, a four-year-old feline from the Fredericton SPCA, gave some of his blood to help the baby bobcat, who was brought to the animal hospital late last month. When the bobcat arrived, oh, she was dehydrated, weak, and anemic. But after the gift of blood from Smuckers, Dr. Nicole Jouette says she's feeling much better. Right now, she's acting like a bobcat should. So she's hissing, she's growling. If you go near her, she will try to attack you because that's what they do to humans because um, it's a fight or flight response with wild animals. And, and clearly right now she's fighting, which is great. This is, this is fantastic. We love it when wildlife try to attack us because that means they feel good. Okay, then. There's also a happy ending for Smuckers. Uh, he has now been adopted into a loving home. That is a great name for a cat. A bobcat. How about a little gratitude? <laughs> he's just, man, yeah, I know, he's man. going around attacking the staff. Yeah. But Not in his nature. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Squire's here now. What's going on in sports? Okay, we'll talk the Vancouver Canucks. Also, the Abbotsford Canucks. They're playing four home games in the next five nights against the same team. Bakersfield, the Oilers farm team. Like, we're playing a team that's played three games since the new year, since Christmas. We haven't played any, and we've barely practiced together. Actually, the last time Abby played a game in Abby was December 5th. Also tonight, they went above and beyond during their careers as police dogs, the retirement program that's now paying them back.
right, Squire, we got uh, one going in, two potentially coming out. It's like a revolving door. It is a revolving door. But if you're going through that revolving door, please wear your mask. Uh, first off, we'll do a Canucks COVID update. Alex Chason has tested positive, but the good news is Brock Besser and Philip uh, DiGiuseppe should be out of protocol and back with the Canucks tomorrow. Now, when it comes to all-time Canucks best trades, getting JT Miller, even for a first-round draft pick, is one of the better deals in Canucks history. And since Bruce Boudreaux became coach, Miller has gone on a point streak of nine straight games, 14 points over that stretch. But he's actually been the Canucks' best scorer since he arrived. Go back to his first season in Vancouver. JT is way ahead of the others, although some have played less games. But just the same, Miller has been a leader, and Bruce Boudreaux obviously loves having him here. He's been great, and he's a great player. He's a much better player than I ever thought he was. And I don't mean that demeaningly wise. He can play any position you want. And uh, uh, he does it with the way every coach wants a player to play. He plays hard. He plays. He's He's got so much pride when he doesn't do well. He knows it and he gets angry about it, which is, I have no problem with that. But, I mean, to me, he's he's a one really good leader, and I would take him on my team any time, any day. The Abbotsford Canucks are playing tonight at home. They'll also play tomorrow, Sunday, and Monday at home. A busy stretch for the baby Canucks, who, like the varsity team, have had a lot of time off in recent weeks. The Abbotsford Canucks need to get reacquainted with their fans. It's been 32 days between home games, mostly because of COVID interruptions. But now that they're back, the games will come fast and furious, starting with four in a five-night span against the Oilers farm team, the Bakersfield Condors. It'll be a bit of a challenge. We haven't had our group on the ice. It's almost like training camp again. We've, we've only had... Uh, Guys coming in today, guys coming in yesterday, the day before. So, and some guys haven't skated for two weeks. So, um, we'll have a little bit of rust, but uh, you know what? Uh, just as long as we're working hard and, and we'll, we'll see where we go. It's been a trying time for everyone in the pro hockey world, no matter what the level, and the baby Canucks are no exception. COVID has ripped through their team, but they're getting healthier, trying to get back to some semblance of normal, at least at the rink. This is actually a great release. We're, I feel like we're very lucky to be able to come to the rink, whether it's practice days, game days, do what we can for whatever. It's a couple hours or four or five hours, and, and away we go. If anyone's been affected by COVID this year, it's been Justin Bailey. He tested positive just before training camp back in the fall, and then for a second time just a couple of weeks ago. But he's back to full health now kind of like a reminder that it's still there like it kind of felt like things were starting to get back to normal with the fans and everything but uh yeah it feels like it's been like two two years of this now as much as covid has been a detriment there's also a bright side to all of this with nhl teams adding taxi squads and needing call-ups at a moment's notice many more minor leaguers are getting their shot to play at the nhl level this season than ever before there's opportunity, and that's what we want to do. We want to make sure we're getting up and running and getting up and playing because I don't want to take that opportunity away from our guys who have a chance of maybe going out and playing for the Vancouver Canucks. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers officially cut Antonio Brown today for leaving in the middle of the game against the New York Jets on Sunday. Now, Brown says he told the coaches his ankle was too sore for him to go back in the game. 
Bucks head coach Bruce Arians says he didn't say that to him and that Brown was medically cleared to play that game. He says what Brown was really angry about was not having the ball thrown to him as much as he wanted. Uh, he was very upset at halftime about who was getting targeted. Got that calmed down. Players took care of that. It started again on the sideline. We called for the personnel group that he had played in the entire game. He refused to go in the game. That's when I looked back and saw him basically wave off the coach. Um, I then went back, approached him about what was going on. Uh, I ain't playing. To what's going on? I ain't getting the ball. That's when I said, "You're done. Get the f out of here." And that's the that's the that's the end of it. All right. Novak Djokovic is hoping to not be told get the you-know-what out of here in Australia. He's at a Melbourne hotel. It's not a five-star hotel either. Awaiting a court hearing on Monday to see if he can stay in Australia and play the Open after his visa was cancelled. Now, of course, he's unvaccinated, was initially given a medical exemption to play, but border guards said no. Rafael Nadal, who is vaccinated, said Djokovic should have known this could have happened. I, I feel uh, sorry for him, but at the same time, um, he knows he knew the conditions since uh, a lot of months ago, so he makes his own decision. And there you go. Hmm. We'll see what happens. The saga continues. Thank you, Squire. You're welcome. All right, a retirement plan for police dogs coming up next. Believe BC is brought to you by Pacific Blue Cross Small Business Health Plans. Find out more at pacificbluecross.ca. Well, when we retire, most of us can look forward to some kind of pension, even if it's just the Canada Pension Plan. But police dogs have no such safety net. And that is despite them putting their lives on the line to keep all of us safe. Jada Rant brings us the story of a group doing what they can to right what they see as an historical wrong. It was hard news when Jason Martins found out a vet bill for his retired police dog Tyson was going to cost about $10,000 to treat a leg infection. Being my partner for five years, uh, there was no way I wasn't going to pay that, but we had to figure out how we were going to pay for it, and that uh, was kind of how Support Retired Legends was born. Insurance is not cost-effective for older dogs, some with pre-existing injuries, so instead an online fundraiser selling sweaters was launched. And it's now grown to over 80 different products, with a portion of all sales supporting retired police dogs across the country. We slowly transitioned to having a bunch of products, and things have just been flying off the shelf. It's been great. All I It's the handler who will gauge the health and drive of their dog and decide if it's time for retirement, usually after six or seven years of service. And it is not an easy transition. They still want it in their heart. They're, they're a two-year-old dog at heart, and they just that's all they want to do is work, help people, save people, please us as handlers, and help their communities. 
The Support Retired Legends Instagram account now has Fur Legends Friday, sharing some of the amazing career accomplishments of these canines, like Rook, who tracked and apprehended a wanted criminal, or Coda, who once saved someone from drowning by pulling them out of the Fraser River. These are the dogs that find, you know, a missing child or a missing grandparent. And I, I feel like we do, they do a lot for us, and they just don't really get the recognition that they deserve. But they're working hard to change that and to make sure every legend will be looked after in their golden years. Everyone loves the dogs. They want to see the best retirement for these dogs. And uh, the community came together. It was, it was huge to have everyone support us. Jay Durant, Global News. And if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC, just email your ideas to Jay. This is BC at globalnews.ca. That's after you come in from shoveling or clearing out the drains and gutters. Uh, all kinds of crazy things coming, Christy. Mm-hmm. So the rain is certainly falling right now. And the big concern overnight will be with the rain, it melts the snow. And so we could see pooling water on the roads. We still have a risk of freezing rain right through the Fraser Valley. Roger, one of our weather watchers out there, says there's quite some accumulations happening in Chilliwack right now. Yikes. Oh, still. All right. Thanks very much, Christy. And thank you for watching, everybody. Good night, all.